What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate, and uh, we're here again. We're here again. Um, it is a Tuesday. That's why you're listening to my voice and why you're going to be listening to a very uh, dope conversation that we have uh, with our, our guest today. As you know, Living Corporate, or maybe you don't know because, you know, this is your, maybe your first time listening. But for those who are first-time listeners, Living Corporate is a platform that centers and amplifies marginalized voices at work. Uh, we do this through having real talk in a corporate world by having conversations with black and brown thought leaders, movers and shakers, executives, influencers, whoever, um, taking fairly evergreen topics, but centering them around marginalized perspectives and experiences. And so with that being said, we have a, a really special guest. Very excited to have her on the platform. Mandy Price. Mandy Price is the CEO and co-founder of the Dallas-based Canaries, Inc., a web platform that incorporates data and AI to foster diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. Mandy, welcome to the show. How are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm doing great. How are you, Zach? It's so good to be with you here today. It's, it's a pleasure to be with you as well. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing well because, you know, like we talked about very briefly off mic, um, you know, my, my daughter is beautiful. Um, she's, she's getting bigger and bigger every day. My wife is in um, is strong and, and in good spirits, um, and I'm doing I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm thankful for the immediate things around me and the fact that there's peace in my immediate vicinity. At the same time, I'm tired, right? I'm exhausted. I'm think I look at the news. I look at you know the continued brutalization of people that look like us, and that's that's tiring, you know. It's extremely tiring. It's traumatic. It's draining. It's, you know, sometimes I struggle with the words to express my emotions because they're so full and it's very, very difficult. But the one thing that is encouraging to me and my team, and I'm sure to you and many others that have fought for marginalized voices to be heard more, is that the discussions are starting to change no longer are we kind of just looking at the symptoms. People are starting to talk about the disease. How do we rid out the disease? And we know that the issues that we see in corporate America and really the systemic inequities that we see throughout our society, because it's not just corporate America. We see it in education. We see it in healthcare. Obviously, the criminal justice system is pervasive throughout our country. And we know that these kind of surface level policies, be it in the corporate America or any other setting, aren't going to work, that we have to do the hard work, that we have to look at these issues from a systemic basis. And so as I hear people talking about institutional racism, uh, systemic inequities, I'm encouraged, more encouraged than I've been in a long time, yeah. because often um, when we were in DNI circles, I felt that um, we were speaking two different languages, mm. you know, that I've long felt that diversity and inclusion was about justice and fairness, that that's what people wanted. They wanted to work in a work environment that they knew was fair and that they would actually have a chance to succeed in that work environment. And there weren't these barriers where they're not going to get the same type of um, uh, kind of job assignments. Their pay wasn't going to be fair. They weren't going to have the same promotion opportunities. And I think people are starting to think about DNI through that lens, which we have long advocated, as opposed to thinking of it from a programmatic sense, mm -hmm. which is what we've seen so much in corporate DNI, which is we're going to create environments which are important. I don't want to take away from that. Um, uh, but so much of the work was we're going to celebrate 
Black History Month or Pride Month or these different um, kind of celebrations and not to me really looking and doing the really, really hard work of are our systems, our policies, our procedures um, perpetuating these inequities that exist within our workplace? I agree with you. And I think to your point, and I've talked about this a little bit like over the past couple of weeks, but it's like the idea that a lot of this corporate DNI stuff, it's talking, it's one, it puts the effort and blame back on marginalized voices for being marginalized. So it's up to you to adjust your behavior to better assimilate with the white majority so that you're not so marginalized all the time. And maybe people forget about the color of your skin because, you know, I don't know unconscious bias and then intersectionality right it's like it doesn't really it's not it doesn't come together for anything um and then the also the idea of um having these having a bunch of training and activities that don't really tie back into the systems within the organizations themselves so when folks are saying words like system systemic um but then not offering systemic solutions it brings me pause if they actually understand what that what if they actually understand the language that they're using. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, like I said, that's why I'm so encouraged, right? I, I think that's what everybody is saying. We'll see. We we are encouraged by the amount of companies that more encouraged by the companies that cope with those statements with act. Uh, you know, there are many organizations that acknowledge that they had work to do in terms only were they going to make donations or contributions to groups that are fighting uh, racial inequities um, externally outside of their organizations. Many organizations um, have actually acknowledged that they have work to do internally and that um, they can't just put out the statement. And I think it's up to us to hold them to that. And it's going to help the organizations that are really serious about doing and the ones that, you know, uh, similar to we were talking about the celebrations of Black History Month, okay, we our DNI, we're done. Um, the organizations that simply said, okay, it's Blackout Tuesday, we're going to, you know, make our logo black, and, and that's it. We did what we needed to do. Um, people will know the organizations that are serious and are wanting to put in the work. That's right. And I mean, to that point, I really want to actually get to I want folks to hear a little bit about the history of Canaries. So now you've been featured on Crunchbase and Business Insider and Forbes and Afrotech, just to name a few. So it's not like you're a stranger, but I would like to get into more of the history of Canaries. And in, in addition to that, uh, really about like the funding that you've been able to achieve. Right. And so um, we've been having conversations in the VC space about, you know, there continue to be a more critical lens being put on how little VCs uh, engage black founders and entrepreneurs and here you are um just gathering quite a bit so i'd love to give you some space for that yeah so let me start with the um kind of what was the impetus for canaries how did i get into this work um my background is i'm a lawyer by training i practiced law for 12 years um but during the course of that time like many um black professionals at first i was voluntold <laughs> that i was going to be on the diversity <laughs> committee yeah um but i had a passion for the work so and as i started to delve uh, further and further in um i started to volunteer more but i think a lot of us um kind of 
going back to the conversation you had earlier, um, where people of color were one of the only people of color or African-Americans within that uh, space. And so, you know, it's Mandy, don't you want to be on the diversity committee? Well, I never told you that, but sure. Um, and so that's kind of how the work begun um, was, uh, you know, initially doing doing uh, work on our, our firm's diversity committee, as well as being a part of uh, the ERG for black attorneys. And uh, subsequently later, as I moved firms, I also was on uh, a firm's, my firm's uh, women's task force. And so my background as far as interest in diversity and inclusion goes back to really undergrad where I uh, did these issues and same thing when I was in law school. Um, I worked at the Harvard Civil Rights Project, um, did a lot of work as well with um, the law review there, the Harvard Civil Rights Civil Liberties Law Review on on issues. And so um, those issues were expansive. And then when I came into the corporate world, really got to see firsthand for myself the um, pervasive issues that exist within corporate America. And um, I felt like I was prepared for it. Uh, my parents, I think all of us receive this kind of training um, as far as what we need to do, uh, survival skills really, as far as to succeed in corporate America. So I was well equipped, but over time, I felt that um, it was very clear to me that the approaches that we were taking to diversity and inclusion were not uh, going to solve anything on a systemic basis. It was very much, well, let me treat you like you were saying, how to assimilate, how to um, kind of navigate the firm um, in the way that it's currently, the, the processes and the political structures work. And none of our DNI was really looking at things from an introspective basis. Um, it was all based off of these um, kind of programs, um, you know, uh, ERG celebrations and things of that nature. And so we knew that we had 50% of women or we knew that our entry-level classes as far as African-American and other people of color were more diverse than um, as people kind of ascended the ranks. But there was never discussion of, well, why is that? Why is it that um, the number of black partners is so low? Um, I remember when I was working at a firm, it was a 10-year span before there was a black partner made. And so that kind of deep critical analysis of is there something within our policies that we need to change, that we need to look at as to why um, we're seeing these discrepancies. Um, I remember being on the hiring committee where, um, you know, there's discussions of, well, um, how do we increase the diversity? Not again, looking at, well, why do we keep losing people? Right. And I remember broaching the subject of, well, can we, why don't we look at HBCUs? And the immediate response was, well, we can't lower our standards. And so it was really clear to me when I would look at the kind of talent that all of the people of color came from Harvard or Yale or Columbia, that there was these discrepancies even in the way talent was recruited, right? right? And when you look at the backgrounds. And so I just started to really think about things on a more structural basis. And I wanted to create a platform where people were free to talk about these issues in a safe space because I know conversations that I had in our ERG group were very different than the conversations that were had when leadership was involved. Or even, to be frank, 
some of the chief diversity officers and things like that. People just felt that if HR or certain kind of leadership in the firm or the organization of the company were involved, that they weren't as free to have these conversations. And so how could we create a safe space where people could talk about these issues um, in a way where uh, that we could learn from each other, but then also really equip the organizations with information that they needed to really understand the structural issues and the everyday lived experiences that their employees were facing. So that's kind of how Canaries evolved and and how we grew the company. Um, When you go to the platform, uh, individuals are able to go, they're able to look at every organization from a DNI lens. Uh, every company has a company profile page. Uh, we have around 600 companies that we're tracking data on right now that we add to that every single month. Um, you can go in and request that your company is one of the ones that we track. And so we look at it from a data and analytics perspective. We know that that is the language of companies, right? Um, if someone kind of goes in and tells their own experience it's obviously real but a lot of times those individuals are met with defensiveness resistance um you know all kinds of well this did that really happen and so you're going in there trying to prove that your lived experiences are actually um something that others are facing within the organization so it's extremely frustrating right you're already dealing with all kinds of microaggressions and for many people overt racism, right? There's, right. you know, you know that there's covert and overt. Right. Um, and then to go in and try to actually address it and then to be met with more resistance from HR or other leaderships within your firm, we know is very, very daunting for individuals. And so um, I know that what I had kind of started to do was I wouldn't talk about it with anyone. I just figured that this was the normal course of um, people of color, especially African-Americans, were treated in the workplace. And I kind of just started to normalize everything. And I think as you look at the current events and the amount of people sharing their stories and none of the stories seem new to me, you know, it's it's like, you know, I felt like I I read stories. I'm like, yep, that happened to me. That happened to me too. Um, That we just kind of become numb and think that this is just what it's like um, and we normalize it. And I think now we're starting to see people say, this shouldn't be normal. Right. This shouldn't be normal. And we have to speak up and talk about it because although we, Zach, you know, know as people of color, as African-Americans, our everyday lived experiences, we have to make sure that we amplify those voices and let everyone know that this is how we have to deal in corporate America every single day. And I think it's more important now than ever, while people are actually looking at this from a systemic and institutional lens, that they know how pervasive this is within their organizations. And that's what we encourage people to do in Canaries. You know, our platform was created to amplify and share these stories, these voices. So not only can you go to Canaries and see companies' DNI policies. We track all things, like I said, from a very detailed data and analytics perspective. So you can see their demographics, how they change. You can see their DNI policies, but you can see stories and look at reviews from other 
um, people of color, other marginalized voices that have worked in those work environments. Yeah. You know, when I would when I was moving from one firm to the next, you know, I looked at all kinds of different platforms that show you culture and reviews and things like that from workplaces. But what stuck out to me, I was like, that's great. I'm glad they have happy hours. But what is it going to be like for me to work there? Right. right I knew right. my experiences were going to be different. Right. And so the things that I was looking for an employer were very specific. And so um, that's why we created the platform, because we know that if you are uh, a person of color, if you're LGBT, if you are disabled, there's certain marginalized voices that have different things that they're going to want to look at for an employer. And so we provide them with that information, that data, so that they can really assess, is this place going to be open to me? Am I going to have the same opportunities? Am I going to be able to feel included? Um, and and that's the information we provide on Canaries. You know, so I'm one, that's incredible. Um, and I do think, you know, I've had conversations with folks in the past when it comes to um, how real change happens within these organizations. Um, I've had conversations with folks say, you know, do you really think that like corporate diversity and inclusion can really drive change or do you think it's more external? And I was like, I, the reality is I believe that these institutions need external pressures coordinated with some folks internally who have the moral courage to do the right thing. And so I'm curious as we talk about like, you know, this new season or this moment, I don't want to say it's a season, but it's certainly a moment because we're about a few weeks in of folks really like centering and like talking about black experiences and like really having to call out racism. Um, and some of them even being bold enough and right enough to say police brutality. Um, do you anticipate an uptick or have you already seen an uptick in activity on Canaries as it pertains to folks sharing their stories and talking about these things? So we have started to see an uptick. Um, I think People are realizing that we have to speak up and speak out. Like I said, I think so far for so long we have normalized. We had just become so accustomed to the way things operated and the ability to see kind of widespread change was definitely desired, but it was how is that going to happen, right? And I think people realize now the importance of sharing their stories and of ensuring that people really do know the day-to-day lived experiences. Um, so we, we've definitely seen um, a, an uptick, but, you know, our platform was created for uh, us to share our voices without this kind of uh, muting that we see, especially, you know, on some of the traditional platforms. A lot of times Black voices have been censored when they've talked about racism when they've called out racist behavior. And we wanted to create something that never would meet those voices, but would amplify that because it's so important that we really do show the pervasive nature of uh, the way racism operates within our society. I think for some people, especially people that aren't black or that are have not been marginalized, the way they view racism is very, very different. Um, racism is seen within this prism of malice or ill will yes, or, yes. You, you know, very concrete things. I called someone the N-word. Um, that's race, right? Or right, those, right. those street actions. But understanding how racism actually presents itself in our society 
And I think that we're seeing that there's, and we've known for a long time, there's been a disconnect. But I think the more we share the stories, it helps bring that enlightenment to, wow, right? I did not realize that someone's everyday experiences um, really have racism manifest itself in, in so of your life. And so I think we're seeing the importance of that, even though it's our normal everyday life. And we're like, well, of course, you know, this has been like this for, for centuries that is coming, taking on more of an importance. And one of the things we do on the platform, because we know leaders talk through measurements and data is we aggregate all the responses and we show uh, them where there's statistical anomalies so that people can see the trends and the evidence where we're like, well, you know, this is just uh, not statistically possible if there's not racism present, right? Um, that's kind of what happens on the back end later once organizations go really, really far and maybe they are presented with some kind of class action litigation or things of that sort. Right. <laughs> People actually start doing the regression analysis and looking at it. But that's what we do is we work with the companies on the data and say, you know, what we're seeing in trends is there's some systemic issues within your organization. And so let's start proactively working on that now. So um, we're, like I said, uh, very encouraged by what we're seeing. Um, but I do think it's it it's going to take this push-pull, this not only working on things internally, but all of us have to externally push organizations as well to know that this is important, that we're not going to accept check the box or just the kind of marketing materials that we see sometimes. You know, this is our DNI report. No, we're going to say these are our real experiences. It might not be all polished, but it's important that people know what it's really like and which organizations are taking it seriously to really create those atmospheres of true inclusion, equity and fairness. And so, you know, I'm, what I'm really curious about right now is as you're having these conversations have, and even historically before this moment, have you noticed a certain level of fragility when you actually bring these stories and experiences and things to back to the organization and say, hey, look, these are what the people are saying about you. Like, have you, or are they, are they fairly receptive? I would anticipate that, they, that there's a certain level of defensiveness, but I'm curious as to what your experience has been. Um, traditionally, there has been defensiveness. Um, you know, there are companies that are more open than others, but overwhelmingly, um, what we have seen is um, the desire to kind of, uh, hide anything that can be perceived as negative. And I think what companies are realizing is that people know things aren't perfect because they live them. <laughs> you know, they live the experiences. So they know that there are issues. So they're not wanting, you know, this kind of sanitized view of what it's like to work there. They want to know that you have the commitment to do the hard work and to make the changes. And so that's what we've been, you know, like I said, talking, just like you've been talking about the systemic nature of these issues for a long time. We've been talking about it for a long time and getting folks to realize that DNI is not marketing. It is not painting this pretty picture. It's not, right? <laughs> it's not marketing, right? And so I think that there are organizations willing to do the hard work but we've had many conversations of when we say this is what people are saying about your work environment. This is how, you, you know, your employees feel. And 
their response is, how can we tie this with a bow and try to make it look pretty for people? And so I think that's what organizations are beginning to see is we don't want the pretty bows. We want the commitment and we want the uncomfortable conversations and we want people to lean into this work and say, we're willing to look and, and really look at the disease and not the symptoms that we've all seen for years and years and years. We all know that the um, representation of Blacks and other underrepresented groups is abysmal in corporate America. We know that talent is not reside in one demographic. So we've been seeing the symptoms for a long time. Anyone should have been able to look and say, and organizations right now should be able to look in there into their workforce and say, wow, it's kind of amazing that, you know, all of our senior and mid-level management is of one demographic. That is a warning sign that there is something amiss within your organization. And for some reason, I think it is kind of like the prevalence of, of white supremacy, just like we said earlier, the way people view racism is from an kind of altered lens. When we talk in those terms, not right. everyone is envisioning the same thing. I think the same thing is when we talk about white supremacy. I think some people envision the KKK. So, you know, there's different kind of how we talk about people are on different levels of the DNI journey. Right. There are definitely different levels that people are on as far as their consciousness of how these terms, what these meanings, how, how they permeate themselves in our society. So we know white supremacy isn't simply, um, you, you know, I'm, I'm a member of the KKK or that kind of white, you know, supremacy that I think sometimes people think when they hear that word. White supremacy right. is if you look at your organization structure and all of your leadership is white and you think that that's normal in a society that is as diverse as ours, that is a red flag if there's a problem because talent is evident everywhere. And so those are the kind of things that we're really hoping people will lean into and be willing to have that uncomfortable conversation and do the hard work of saying there's something to miss here if we live in a country so as diverse as ours, and especially in some of the environments where these companies are headquartered, they are in, incre in incredibly diverse areas and that don't match at all the demographics of what their workforce are. Well, and, and here's the thing, right? So when you talk about leadership and leadership representation, it's a common thing. It's a common th known thing that black and brown folks typically top out around that manager senior manager level and that that like next tier of leadership which is like that you know senior leader to junior vp level whatever you want to call that it's it, it thins out dramatically and that that's like what, what i just described is a common thing across certainly most service industries in terms of like consulting and and you know different types of um uh, client service professions, but that's a common thing. And like, it's been common. And so what I'm, I'm really eager to see, and I'm, I'm just very curious to see how real this moment is. And like, is this just like a flash in the pan reaction thing? Are we actually getting ready to have like some type of like collective call to consciousness? Um, that's what I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm just most curious about that part. Um, and then to your point around white supremacy and like how folks typically will characterize white supremacy being like KKK. And it's scary because like there are folks out there who sit in like very senior diversity, equity, inclusion positions who are just now coming into the reality of 
what white supremacy really is, what systemic racism is. Um, you know, are just now reading books from like Robin DiAngelo and uh, Pamela Newkirk and, you know, or studying like black civil rights. Like, you know, it's like, it's, it's a it's a it's a telling time. It's a it's, and I said this before. It's really like a watershed moment for corporate DNI practices. You know what I mean? Absolutely, couldn't agree more. And you know, I think uh, we are hoping it's the latter of what you said that this is a watershed moment and um, the kind of normal corporate DNI practice as usual um, is going to be turned on its head and. Uh, for the first time, and I don't want to say first time because there's a lot of organizations that have been doing the hard work. I think as I talk to many DNI professionals, they've advocated for these things. The problem is they didn't have the support from their leadership. So when I when I when we talk about the watershed moment, I think it's hopefully, you know, going forward, DNI practitioners, the people that have been leading into this work and advocating for this work, will get this support and the resources that they need for management um, because that has been a lot of the disconnect. We know even right before um, kind of the, what we've seen with, you know, the deaths of Ahmaud Aubrey and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, Taylor yeah. that have brought about is organizations were talking about cutting DNI. That was the first thing on the chopping block. It was, you know, we had the pandemic. Our Correct. businesses is, 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 is losing. It's the you first know, thing the to go of, every time. Right. And so hopefully now uh, organizations are beginning to see how critical these issues are. DNI shouldn't be first on the chopping block and that they need to provide the support and the resources to their DNI practitioners that they need to really do the work. Amen. Amen. Um, now, now, man, we've talked about Canaries. You've talked about the functionality of the platform, but I haven't really given you space to like plug Canaries. And so, you know, this is not an ad, but you're here. Might as well just go ahead and like let us know exactly where we can find you and all that information there. Yeah, sure. So you can go to www.canaries.com, K-A-N-A-R-Y-S.com uh, to look for, like I said, we have information on company profiles from a very deep DNI lens so people can go in and see not only uh, things like the demographics or their uh, very in-depth DNI policies, not non-discrimination policies. We do include that, but things like do they recruit HBCUs, uh, very detailed information about kind of the structure of the company's DNI policies and efforts, as well as looking at um, the lived experiences of other um, marginalized, underrepresented voices within that workforce. We allow you to filter down by all kinds of DNI topics, so you can say, "I want to look at things um, that are definitely uh, directly relate to." Uh, childcare issues or uh, things related to the disabled community. It's all, again, from a DNI lens. So you're able to really filter down and see information at a very detailed level. Um, we also include all kinds of resources uh, to help you advocate for things within your workplace. So we do uh, webinars that are more geared towards chief diversity officers, but we also have a resources page that includes things like um, materials uh, if you're an ally, right, and trying to learn more about those. We know that there's been an extreme uh, kind of 
reach out that we've never seen before for people saying, what are the materials I can read? What are things I can learn more about? We, we have those materials on our page, so uh, feel free to share those with others if you are getting the same kind of outreach that we've seen so many uh, other Black Americans experiencing during this time. But we also have resources for ERG groups. So if you are an internet organization where you're still trying to get your leadership to release a statement, you're still trying to get your leadership to think about we can't just uh, if they did release a statement, we, we can't just release a statement. We need to take some actions. We need to look internally and externally and think about ways we can do to really promote uh, racial justice in this country. We have a couple templates, letters that you can um, kind of format, reformat to send to your leadership. So, again, we're all about how can we work together, use our collective voices to really approach these issues from a systemic basis. I love it. I love it. Um, Y'all, this has been Living Corporate. Um, Thank you so much for listening. You know, we do this every single week, three times a week, minimum, right? So we got the Tuesday episodes. We got Tristan's tips on Thursdays. And then we have either the link up with Letitia or see it to be it with Amy C. Wanninger. And that doesn't that doesn't even count, you know, some extra loosies we might drop in in there, depending on what the time or occasion may call for. Um, You can check us out all over Beyonce's Internet. Right. You just type in living corporate. We're going to pop up. okay? but if you want to make sure you connect with us on Instagram, it's living corporate. And you will check us out on Twitter. It's living corp underscore pod. And uh, again, just type in living corporate for the website. But if you want the domains, living dash corporate dot com, living corporate dot co, living corporate dot TV, living corporate dot U.S., livingcorporate.net we got all the living corporates mandy all of them except for livingcorporate.com we don't have livingcorporate.com because australia has that one so don't type in livingcorporate.com and get mad at me because i'm telling you right now it's living dash corporate please say the dash dot com or livingcorporate.whatever whatever else okay until next time y'all this has been zach and you've been listening to mandy price ceo and founder of canaries peace Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.